0: irreverent, entertained, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to State of the Arts with Michael Sterling and Paul Strolly
1: right here on LA Talk Radio. You would be, indeed,
2: if Mr. Shirley was here, but in his place, ladies and gentlemen, today we have sitting in the main chair. Oh, this is the main chair? main chair. I thought this was the the (laughs) sub-chair.
3: I'll take that. Andrew David James. Hello, Michael. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm good, thank
2: you. Thank you for asking. Did you miss me at all? I did. You had that tall, good-looking guy sitting across you for all those weeks. (laughs) It was nice to have Paul back, but he's a a busy guy, you know? He is very, very much so. So, uh, and you, I know you're busy see all the time a little bit we've been Being running the, back and forth yeah yeah out there from uh, he lives in Malibu Nice, huh? Tough.
1: tough. Be, yeah, yeah tough. Really tough. Yes, so really I have my
3: really like financial 19-room mansion over the ocean, of course. <laughs> Not a two-bedroom apartment tucked in the hills, but... <laughs>
2: oh, wow. Well, anything by the water would be fine with me. So whatever it looks I like. I do love it. It's a blessing to live there, be able to walk those kiddos down to the beach. So, Before we get into uh, into that, uh, we better pay the bills here and thank our sponsors. What Let's do, you think? do that. All Indeed. right. We'd like to thank, ladies and gentlemen, our sponsor, Breakdown Services, the entertainment industry standard used around the world, providing the most professional means to reach talent agents as well as actors when casting a project. To learn more about Breakdown Services, visit BreakdownExpress.com. We'd also
3: like to acknowledge PerformingArtsLive.com, one of the internet's most prominent listing sources for the live arts in Southern California. We're grateful to
2: Performing Arts Live for lending their support to our live arts calendar. We are indeed, and in studio with us today, Drew, is are, I should say, two highly credited actors who are both trotting the boards in Los Angeles from his notable television and film roles, including the 1960s American classic television series My Three Sons, starring Fred McMurray, to his appearances in such films as The Social Network, Argo, and Horrible Bosses. Barry Livingston is here. Welcome, Barry. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Oh, wow. I oh, don't yeah. got many people there. Hold Hi, you. Thank, thank you. Down. Hold, hold that applause. <laughs> My goodness.
1: <laughs> How are you, Barry? I, I'm great. I'm great better than Michael, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's not hard to do.
3: So. <laughs> also, from another American classic, The Partridge Family, in which we have one he was cast as a regular series. Excuse- Michael, I'm going to start talking now. Are you okay, ready? Here, here we go. go. Here here we go. go. <laughs> and from another American classic, The Partridge Family, in which he was cast as a series regular at age four and then went on to appear in other classics such as Little House on the Prairie, one of my favorites, Police Woman, and Fernwood Tonight. Rick Seagull joins us today on his birthday no less, little Whoa.
2: extra
0: applause. Yeah.
2: How many people would come and, and give up their birthday to come and do a Just Rick. Show? We asked everybody whose birthday it was. Oh, and Rick was the, was the only one who I got to tell
3: you, I had the <laughs> amount of abuse from my college roommates because I had the entire Little House on DVD in my in my dorm room, and they would not let up that I liked Little House on Well, I'm Prairie. proud of you. See? Thank you. 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 you I kind of thought I was Albert for about two years.
0: And a lot of people thought I was <laughs> Albert, too, for a couple <laughs> of years because we learned <laughs> resemble each other. I
3: loved Michael Landon's work on that show. I thought it was a great show. So. And,
2: you know, I have a, a good buddy of mine. I grew up on that show. Dean Butler. Oh, of course. He played uh, Almanzo, yeah. yeah? Yes. You know, I, I took the kids,
3: because I love those stories. I love the Americana. I love the heritage. I love the truth behind it. We took the kids out to the Lori Wilder Homestead this last summer in South Dakota, uh, drove across country for eight days and let them stay there and ride a covered wagon and make the ropes. And my little girls read all the books. So I think that plays an important part in our in our history, our Americana history.
2: Well, the, you know, it became a musical. Uh, uh, I didn't not, know not, not intended to go to Broadway but certainly uh, toured the country with wow. M- Melissa Gilbert in the title... Uh Role that she always played on the series, know that. and God bless her. She, you know, is really not a singer, but uh, you know, for the marquee value of everything, it certainly sold tickets all the way across the country. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll bet it did. And, In other uh, words,
1: she sucked, right? Is that what you're saying? You know to say? what? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, it was <laughs> just it was, Get, it. get to know, the bottom of it.
2: It was kind of a, a, a pleasant surprise to see her. You know, <laughs> now was the struggle through her mother. songs.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, oh,
2: They were careful about how what they what and how they wrote for her, but. Mm. Uh, yeah she, she did a great job interestingly enough the audience would dress up in that period of clothes I'm but
3: not, not surprised sure, like, yeah I'm not uh, surprised I,
1: I almost wore you know one of my outfits from My Three Sons did you? <laughs> I see you changed your outfit. glasses though I we wear my you. plaid robe and my pajamas <laughs> we we these are much you cooler you do that occasionally thank yeah. you
3: <laughs> I got to tell you as a, as a dad you realize how important it is for there to be family friendly <clears throat> theatrical live entertainment that you can take your kids to and there's actually a surprisingly small amount of that so a Ingalls Wild or a musical sounds like something that I'd love to see at some point so
2: well if it ever comes back on the road you'll, you'll have a chance to take your daughter and, and uh, your other child to the show
3: what are the odds that I get to play Mary in it Excuse me? Do I get to play Mary in it? (laughs) I don't know. You were kind enough, Michael, to get me tickets to go see this amazing Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Which 3D Theatricals, they did a great job. My little girl wanted to go as Belle, but had outgrown her Belle outfit and was forced to go as Elsa. So (laughs) we sat there and had a good time. But I was shocked that they had not called me in for Belle. Really?
2: I was blown well, away. Well, they did by want it. to go in a different direction, and they did, but I don't know if they wanted to go that far. <laughs>
3: this traditional <laughs> casting is killing my chances
2: yeah. in this town, Michael. <laughs> I'm
3: telling you, brother.
2: <laughs> it's tough. Everybody in this room knows that, right? That's mm. right. Oh, my goodness. What have
3: you seen recently? You're at the theater all the time. Michael, where have you been? You know, I
2: went to see a play at the uh, Amundsen Theater, excuse me, at the Mark Taper Theater, down at the Center Theater Group, The Mystery of Love and Sex, uh, which has just opened there. One of my favorite uh, actors. Sharon Lawrence, who oh, was on our show that's right, uh, two of weeks ago. I love her. She's a great performer. She's a wonderful actress. And uh, and uh, David uh, Pitou, who is the co-star who plays her husband. The show is a comedy slash drama. It's a kind of a coming of age for the children, the two children. Um, the strangest thing happened, and I don't know whether it was specific to the evening that I went or it is, but I have a feeling it is every night the same way they did not mic the actors wow hmm. huh. and one it's a big space it's a well, it's a very big space but they so they were all shouting uh, their lines at each other hmm. and i thought how odd but there was no sense of a technical problem
1: whatsoever hmm. you know, was I, it funny did it work was no. it was it odd it mm. did not work no. wow
2: it totally sucked the emotion really uh, of any written line that was uh, driving that play along. Well, I mean, totally pe-
1: out. People are, you know, I, I guess have become accustomed to that. I mean, when I, I worked on Broadway at one of the biggest houses in, in the city at the time, it's gone, but the Mark Hellinger. Which I think was 1600 seats, and they did a, a stress, play called yeah. the, "The Skin of Our Teeth." Yeah, no, nobody was nobody yeah, was mic That was your debut, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I did work at the Amundsen Theater. And I, I, don't I, know you being, I don't recall being I don't recall being mic there at that time. Because you know, this, right? this was in uh, 1642 when they were micing <laughs> people in those days.
3: Well, I wonder if but, it depends on the piece as well. If there's a, you know, if there's a specifically intimate piece, I think you cannot over-project those lines. You know, if you're having to shout to the back of the house, you can lose some emotion that way. So I see what you're saying. Well, it yeah. was.
2: It was so disturbing it the humor that was in the play you know was suddenly quite questionable because oh. it wasn 't coming across as being funny because yeah. they were screaming it so interesting and, and I felt kind of bad for the actress if in fact it was a directorial decision hmm. or or a technical decision that would make a big difference.
1: We were just mad at each other that night. <laughs> maybe. Or half. maybe it's the maybe. mic guy yeah, was, was mad at F. them. Yeah. Or, or mad at the mic guy that he messed up somehow. That's right. I must say it was a, a
2: very long first act, about wow. uh, 95 minutes. Wow. And then a, an intermission. And then we asked someone uh, "What? how long was the second act. They said, well, it depends on the actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it always depends. Who said on the that? A, a One of the person? official house people yeah. <gasps> oh, wow.
1: Wow. He wow. said
2: it'll definitely be <laughs> around 90.
3: So this
1: place is no longer open, right? <laughs> you can't go see this play. And, In uh, fact,
3: that show is still running. That performance is still running. Wow, it's a nine
2: hour yeah. play. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm Again, I don't know any of this to be something different on other nights. It was just funny. my experience, but the fact that uh, I had the pleasure of seeing Sharon Lawrence and David Petou in these roles
1: screaming was, at each other. Yeah.
2: <laughs> was something unusual that I'll remember
3: for a long time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Well, why don't you and I scream at each other a little bit here, Michael? But okay. May I introduce this gentleman sitting next to me? Absolutely. Please do. Our first guest was four years old when he was cast as Paul Newman's son in the film Rally Round the Flag Boys. However, he was let go after the production began because his eyes developed astigmatism, which required him to wear glasses. As fate would have it, his new horn-rimmed spectacles became his trademark, and he established a new type of child actor, the prototype nerd, if you will, with big glasses, buck teeth, and unruly hair. After a reoccurring role on the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, he found himself national fame when he was cast as Ernie Douglas on the classic TV series My Three Sons, which ran for a phenomenal 12 years.
1: Wow, that sounds so familiar. That sounds... sounds, (laughs) I recall that He made his
2: Broadway debut in 1975 (laughs) in the revival of Thornton Wilder's The Skin of Our Teeth, which he just mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, followed by a number of other significant stage roles and appearances in many of television's top series of the day. And the trend continues on such shows today as NCIS Los Angeles, The Fosters, on which he has a recurring role, Castle, Major Crimes, Mistresses, and Mad Men, to name but a few. And though he will soon be seen in the new Todd Phillips comedy, War Dogs, he's here today to talk about his co-starring role in the world premiere of Andy Rooster Block's Stella's Last J Date, a brash romantic comedy about a high-stakes blind date, which will be presented March 31st through May 5th at the White Fire Theater in Sherman Oaks. Please welcome the one and only Mr. Barry Livingston. Mm. Thank you.
1: Thank you, guys. Oh, very nice. Welcome, very welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely.
2: Such a pleasure, and as I said to, to Barry, you know, at the beginning of the show, he doesn't look any different, folks. He looks just the same, except he has a beard. When was the last time
1: you had your prescription <laughs> checked? Two I years really, ago? really, really, well, I've aged in two years. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, I'm longer. happy with what I see, so <laughs> thank, thank you, take that for what it's worth. I will, worth. <laughs> thank you. It's, it's worth a lot, actually. <laughs> thank you.
2: I have to ask you about, uh, you know, I too was a, a kid actor, but uh, not as early as you, but the time period that you were in, the business was so very different, totally different.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was, uh, you know, people ask, what's the difference between now and then? The process really is pretty much the same for the actor. You, mm-hmm. you know, you have to go through the casting process, although I can't say, you know, recently I've been on auditions, that I'm going, it's almost like the old days of cattle calls, you go in and dozens of people there, so... Um, but but that said, uh, the process: you show up in the morning, you put your makeup on, you put your wardrobe, you stand in front of a camera, you you act with another actor, and then you mm-hmm. run to craft service with right. <laughs> coffee and chocolate. So that part of it is uh, different. The, you know, the, I mean, it's the same. The, the, you know, the actual material you do clearly is a lot more. Uh, edgier a lot you know some people like it some people don't hallmark loves those little house in the prairie things those (laughs) are very pg Uh, but you know if you tune into hbo or showtime you know you're going to get a whole other flip side of the of uh you know the material that they do today is and certainly Madman is a great example of a different look at the time period that you were portraying exactly so, yeah, yeah, yeah. A wonderful I, example of that i don't you know i did did an episode and i and it was in the first season i i I wondered whether or not they actually thought that would be interesting casting because so so much of my early work is synonymous with with early classic t v yeah Ozzie and Harriet, and my three sons, um, so Madman was, you know, taking place in that era, but with a total different sensibility than... You know, uh, Fred MacMurray was not doing what Don Draper was doing by any means.
3: <laughs> well, I, I read a couple interviews with the gentleman who Don drawn De- Don, Don boy my lips today. Don Draper was modeled after, and it said that he wasn't doing any of that either. So <laughs> I think that a lot of it was put for television, and certainly our modern age. But I think there's a place for both those styles of storytelling. I mean, sure. Mad Men is entertaining as can be. Yeah. But I tell you, I still watch My Three Sons and enjoy the episodes.
1: So I, you know, being being having a, a presence on Facebook, and you know, it's my conduit and can connection to fans present and past. Uh people love that show. Absolutely. And and my opinion of it in fact is altered over the years. When when we did the show uh which was started in 1960 went up in 72 that was a very very tumultuous era in America, you know, uh, the whole things of You know, the Vietnam War and pot and tune in, tune in, drop out, Mm -hmm. the the pill, um, all those things became part of the culture. And, of course, My Three Sons was trapped in a 1950s Pleasantville. You know, it was, hi, honey, I'm home, you know. And uh, so I remember growing up in that era going, "Uh, you know, my real life, I'm not terribly comfortable with that. And and, and particularly because I, I was a prominent character on it. I almost felt like I was the poster boy I for the man, that. you know, mm-hmm. the establishment. You'd go back to school where everyone's trying to be all hip and cool, and I still, to them, you know, because they didn't know me, all they saw was the image, and they went, oh, it's Ernie, and he's a square, and he doesn't get it, and, you know, he's Mr. Jones in the Bob Dylan song. Hmm. So, you know, that was odd. And over time, to get to the point, I have, have a, you know, looked at that show and just go, what a great show it was, the... the we always asked them to do edgier topics, you know. Let's let's address, uh, you know, the issues of the day of the '60s, and they were like, "No, that's not what the tone of the show was. It, it was about family and about the small things, the small problems and and solutions, and and it was just pure entertainment. And on that level, I went, "Wow, you know, I didn't get it then. I get it now, and and it's great for for kids today. And parents like to expose their children to it." today because it's, uh, you know, it's pure entertainment, not nothing nothing threatening. And I it. kind of miss that, actually. I do, too. I,
2: You know, yeah. it's from, from what Barry's talking about to where we have come today and what is a sitcom, you know, today. Right. And, it's and hard to find that. It's it's incredibly hard. And I'm not a prude by any means.
3: You absolutely are had... not a prude. You're sitting here naked right now wearing tassels. You're <laughs> the antithesis of a prude. <laughs> you are so <laughs> Rude. Lisa's not your
1: dance belt. We're in good shape. Oh, though. that's not a story. That's a story. If we have time, I will not tell it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find you know the and unfortunately some of the more uh, you know getting off topic here of the the shows that seem to depict that in a more modern sense was the Cosby Show, and now now that whole thing's being right. looked at totally. in a whole different way in Seventh spin. Heaven. Of course, yeah. Stephen Collins yeah. had this yeah, this yeah. crack up going, "What the heck you know can't can't anybody keep your pants on you know I mean really
2: <laughs> and and also just the language on the show yes, now, yeah. there are so many words that are approved, I guess i mean there are there are there standards and practices anymore It's <laughs> a good question.
3: <laughs> I can tell you know. <laughs>
1: for for a fact in 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 fact, it was funny, Don Grady, who played Robbie on on My Three Sons, and he married uh, Tina Cole. And there was a big issue to Don that, of course, they were married, and you know they were living at the, still in the house as a married couple. And he was came there, you know, at the beginning of the season, and he went into their room and going, "It's two twin beds. We're married, <laughs> really." You know, and they're going, "Well, standards of practices. You right. know, you can't infer that you're sleeping in the same bed, maybe having sex, for God's sake." Right. And he was really took a stand. He said, N- "You know, no, I'm not. You really, know, you guys. You know, sorry." Let's let's bring it up to speed here. Let's let's get it to a little nudge the meter a little into towards reality because we're a married couple, and okay. so they they compromised and said okay we'll put you know a big 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 king size bed wow. in there and and any scene that they actually showed them the the standards and practices said. If one person's under the covers, the other person has to be on top of the covers right. with one foot on the floor. Wow. That, that was the, the law. That was the rule or, wow. you know, what the ethics board was saying would be acceptable to them. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we, we've certainly come a long ways from there. Michael, going back to what you were saying earlier mm-hmm. about how you appreciate that, and I certainly do, too. I
3: think that our country, and I think this is a metaphor for our entire country in many different ways, but we swing so far one way, and then we swing so far back the other way, and everybody's going, well, why can't we get it right? Well, you would stop and take a minute, you know. All that 1930s and 40s and 50s rigid, oh, this can't ever happen, led to things that drove people away from the theater, like mm-hmm. hair and these experiments, and not necessarily hair, but things that went even further experimental productions where people are like, I'm not taking my kids to the theater. Right. Well, for 20 years, didn't nobody go to the theater because they are so tired of the crud that they saw there. I think it's fascinating to know that if you would just portray things honestly and mm-hmm. truthfully, right. you can tell a good story for the most part. And I think that's so important for people raising children to be in the arts.
1: Well, McMurray, who, who Fred McMurray, who was, the, you know, a major, major star when he came to My Three Sons and uh, from the 30s onward. Right. But he had just done a bunch of Disney films, The uh, Absent-Minded Professor, Son mm-hmm. of Flubber. But he was also, you know, one of the great stars of of the you know the great era of movies. Where he was doing Double Indemnity, uh, you know, very racy film right. in its time, and and set the sort of the the template for the film noir. And so, but Fred had a, a very funny incident happen to him because My Three Sons had become a big hit. It was early '60s, and now he was really, really solidified in America's mind as dad. You know, he was the ultra <laughs> wholesome guy. And he had just done the apartment, the, a movie for Billy Wilder, and all he played right. a real cad in it. And and some woman couldn't couldn't reconcile the two <laughs> images. And he was at Disneyland <laughs> and, with his kids, I guess. And she came up to him and she said, because in in the apartment, you know, he's 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 you know ha- having all kinds of affairs. He's renting out his apartment to people. Terrible guy. And then, but dad. So she came up to. She goes, how dare you, you know, you have this family, and you have, you know, these boys now to look after. And she whacked him on the head oh, with her purse. <laughs> and because she was so incensed at the behavior right. that he showed in this other film. That's she could good have, acting. It was, it was all, you know, an imaginary world to him. Wow! But the two images were so contradictory and so powerful. And he came back and he said, I'm never, ever going to do another movie like that. Really? Outside of my... New image, which was the wholesome dad who wow. has all the answers, and you know, so um, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to get uh, to get it right in the the public's mind. It's it's uh, tricky.
2: Well, and you trusted those people on television. You know, you trusted all of them, Donna Reed, and all of those yes. people in that era. Yes, and yeah. Father Knows Best, and yeah, yeah, That's the way life was supposed to be. Can and you tell? Them? You said looking out. You know, you yourself looking. That you knew that wasn't exactly the way it was. I you know. was painfully
1: made aware of that in high school. You know <laughs> how of how square I could be, and uh, you know, and you're you're a human being underneath your character. You you know, and uh, I didn't enjoy that that whole. Sense of being an oddball and an outsider and an outcast in all of what I sensed was not the way I wanted to be perceived. Of course, right, in high school. It's very it's important to be perceived sure. <laughs> in a certain way, cool. and uh, so I made every effort to you know grow my hair long and try to fit in with the the kids that you know were my peer group, and you know, it was great. I had a good well, time.
2: Let's talk about your character in Stella's Last J Date. Yes, and uh, this is a world premiere.
1: It is yeah Andy Rooster block is the, is the author um it's it's a date uh, you know uh that about what people you know the images that they try to present you know I mean it's every first date whether it's made through an online dating service like a, a J Date or eHarmony you know, there's layers that you have to peel back to get to who the real person is underneath that. Not with me. I'm completely neutral. Are you, are you completely <laughs> this naked? This is how I your... speak <laughs> on a date. Hello. Uh, how are you? Yeah. Well, you're the exception. And, uh, He's also married. Uh, okay. Well, it's that, that hasn't stopped. <laughs> that wow. hasn't stopped anybody. Apparently, for my much. wife made it very clear. No more dating. She keeps yeah. the iron skillet waiting. <laughs> I, I think you need to go to Ashley Madison. Then. That's where you need. It, if you're married and looking to hook up. But anyway, it is that world. That very awkward world of meeting somebody through, uh, you know, through through reading a profile. Which so and, many people and the Well, and so many people lie, yeah. or fudge, or half-truths, or whatever you want to call it about their in profile. In this town? Uh, <laughs> yes, everywhere. So, <laughs> anyway, it, it is that, and it's a comedy, and, it, uh, you know, some great people. Uh, Elvis Nolasco, who's on American Crime, yes. is uh, one of the actors in it, terrific guy. Amy Stillman Winston is in it as well, who's a terrific comedian, and... Uh, and it's myself, so it's just us three. It's it's great. It's fun. And
2: was did did you have anything to do with the show before it pulled itself together? Or no, no. I, I
1: had been to the White Fire Theater, which is where we're going to open, March 31st, yes. and running through May 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been to the White Fire numerous times to see other plays. And I'd always gone, yeah, I'd love to work here. It's, it's close. It's in the San Fernando Valley in Sherman Oaks. Um I live Easy in two, to, get to Yeah, I live oh, not too far from there so I went you know this would be cool. They do good work here and and uh, it's nice clean space and mm-hmm. professionally and great run restaurants
2: in the area. Good go restaurants. Too, yeah.
1: It's it's a good night out. So um, I'm making my best pitch for people to come down to come see us.
2: <laughs> and they will because I'm going to tell them how they can do that. Let's right? do that, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, as Barry said, it opens March 31st at 8 p.m., and it uh, will run through May 5th, and it will play on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Just one day a week?
1: We're, You know, the, we're going to start with Thursdays. It's a good night of the, the week to go um, to, to do theater, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get people out, honestly, you know, and people sometimes Friday, Saturday have other right. obligations. Right. So uh, we're, we're hoping it'll... Uh, you know, it, it may get extended, may enlarge its run, but at the moment, that's what we're going to do.
2: Well, it sounds nice and lean, unlike what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> 75 minutes with no intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should note strong language. And the Fire Theater, which, as Barry said, is one of our great equity waiver theaters here, is located at 13500 Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. And it is wheelchair accessible. You should know that. Metered parking until 8 p.m. on Ventura Boulevard, some side street parking, and uh, please, though, carefully read all the parking signage and allow about 15 minutes to park before you get to the theater, which you should get there, of course, about 15 minutes Mm -hmm. before the curtain goes up. Valet parking is available until 11 p.m. at the Augustine Wine Bar, which is just across the way from the theater, and tickets are a phenomenal Low price of $25 That's a great price Go to brownpapertickets.com for those tickets Or call 818-990-2324 Excellent
1: I think I said uh, the wrong Amy Smallman Winston is her name The actress in it I'll I'll hear about that later How many people in the cast? (laughs) (laughs) Get him Amy (laughs) Sounds very exciting Oh it's funny, it is It's it's extremely well written How would you Um, describe the comedy? Um, you know, it's it's a black comedy, but I mean, you know, only in that we're going. Um, you know, it's about a, a real sensitive material. Dating is and, and sex and, and you know, personal relationships are, are are loaded with all kinds of minefields, and uh, so it, it touches on all of those and a, a few grenades, emotional grenades, <laughs> go off. But uh, you know, we're, we're we're the the bottom line is it's a, I think a comedy at heart. And um, we're going to do our best to make people laugh. Get out there and laugh on a Thursday night. That sounds like a lot of fun.
3: Will you stay with us for the next
1: few minutes here?
2: Absolutely. I'd love to talk to we you. We have about. an arts calendar to do. Let's do that. Andrew, do you want to kick that off? Critically
3: acclaimed actress and singer Constance Jewel Lopez has been set to star in the leading role of Dolores Van Cottier in the Musical Theater West production of Sister Act, running April 8th through the 24th at the Richard and Karen Carpenter Performing Arts Center on the campus of CSU Long Beach opening is set for saturday april 9th at 8 p.m based on the 1992 film of the same name the broadway production of sister act ran for 562 performances and was nominated for five tony awards the musical theater west production will be directed by two-time ovation award winner michael matthews with musical re- direction by david, Le- david lamore thank you lamoreau Tickets for Sister Act may be purchased online at www.musical.org, that's M-U-S-I-C-A-L, or by phone at 562-856-1999, extension 4. For more information, you can look up Constance Jewel Lopez and visit her at Lopez. That's C O N S T A N C
2: E J E W E L L L O
3: P E Z dot
2: com. She's made a, a name for herself in town in musical theater because she uh, starred as Effie in the Doma theater production. Talent performer. Dream Girls. Which mm-hmm. was highly uh, lauded and uh, received. Um, several awards at the Los Angeles Ovation. Sister Act is another fun show. Yes, Lots of good, fast-paced comedy and fun. And one of our Stage Star uh, contestants from this year, I I produce an annual musical theater competition every year, so we're 10 years into it. And uh, it is designed uh, kind of loosely patterned after American Idol, but it's all pointed toward Broadway. And so far, through the 10 years, 14 of our contestants have now made their Broadway debuts and or are on their third and fourth Broadway shows. Wow. But another 85, we have a count of that because we keep track of all this, are actually making their living in musical theater. Wow. Now, whether it's wow. on a ship on the ocean <laughs> or it's somewhere regionally in this country or it is in an amusement park in another part of the world, but somewhere they are doing what they love to do. Okay. And it's a pretty cool thing. And this That's young lady cool. this year, who came in second place, was just cast in this show, uh, Sister Act, and, and one of the um, featured roles. Yes, and it's a first, she's 21 years old, her first thing, just jumping into it now. Wow. And Musical Theater West, if you haven't been there, ladies and gentlemen, is a beautiful, beautiful theater, 1,100 seats. On campus at Cal, uh, Cal State uh, University at Long Beach, they do spectacular work there. And uh, Andrew, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a little bit more about Beauty and the Beast. I'd love. So, it. We had
3: such a good time, Michael. That was such a fun show. Th- this three D theatricals does fantastic work are you familiar with them gentlemen three yes yes
2: they really do they they have the funding to do it which is nice Mm -hmm. and they certainly uh, are able to give out uh, multiple equity contracts on the show not the entire show is is equity but uh, they give out as many as they can which is often between eight and eleven contracts Mm -hmm. so yeah unlike our other big houses uh on a regional basis, uh, cannot do more than maybe two or three. Wow! Yeah, but they've they, they are doing Broadway caliber productions. That's absolutely true. Everything from the costumes to the to the sets, and and if they if they're getting the sets like from Wichita Musical Theater, which is a big uh, resource, and it's not quite to their liking, they'll augment it themselves right. and uh, bring it bring it to the point you know of their take on the show beautiful uh, production this year and of course you know when you do a show like Beauty and the Beast Mm -hmm. you can't Give away a ticket because there are none to give away. (laughs) You know, it often saves theater seasons like The Sound of Music would, or or any of those kinds of great shows.
3: The number of seven-year-olds, like my little daughter, running around in princess outfits was worth the price of admission. It was hilarious to watch. Yeah, and these girls tripping over these trains as they try to get to the bathroom. Yeah, I I heard one little girl go, "Mommy, I have to go potty right now!" and get up and run in her dress. I was like, "That's the way a princess goes to the potty." (laughs) Now, full disclosure, Michael, you're involved with th- uh, 3D Theatricals, correct? I am. And I, you've had I a long the, relationship with them. Yes, I have. Their I have not. I, this was my first time seeing them, and I have no association with them other than as an audience member. I loved this show, and I loved watching my 7-year-old light up. She sat on my lap the entire time, just thrilled. Just She hugged me, and she was laughing, and she would giggle. She had such a great time watching what she knew as a movie on stage, and of course, she, she's seen me on stage before and in a number of plays, but just loved being there, loved being out, and you realize how important live performance is. So Absolutely. I was glad she got that. Thank you for the hospitality, Michael. Oh, my time.
2: pleasure, my pleasure. Next up for 3D Theatricals coming up in April uh, is uh, The Full Monty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is another great musical on the stage, and certainly was a great movie. They do a
3: good job of mixing up their seasons. The artistic director brought out his little boy for the opening. T.J. was so yes. funny. It was great. Yeah. It was really everybody had a good time. And the show was top notch. Uh, Gaston was
2: absolutely phenomenal. He was another great. contestant from L.A.'s Next Great Stage. Real. Star. What yeah. is his name? His name is Cameron Bond.
3: Well, he deserves a shout-out because he was fantastic. Yes. I, I tell you, I wanted to jump up there. I just got so excited. It was such a great show. You want to be a part of that kind of theater in Los uh, Angeles. I'm very
2: proud of yeah. him. He, he he came to L.A.'s next great stage, started calling me on the phone randomly and said, you know, I read about this in the paper, and, and should I uh, just... Here's what my story is. I'm a business major. I, I used to sing. I used to do a little bit of musical theater, but my parents wouldn't let me major in it in school, which is what I wanted to do. They said they'd pay for my college if I got a business degree, so wow. that's what I did. Yeah. He said I haven't sung in years. Can I come an audition? I said, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Who's his sidekick? Is it Lemieux? Who's his sidekick? LaFue. LaFue. Lef- yeah. His physical
3: comedy as yeah. a stunt man, I appreciate this, especially getting close to forty and knowing my career is almost done. Yeah. Um, I, what he did was fantastic. He was so spot on. Yeah. He was really he understood the medium
2: very very well. They did a great job. Well, Cameron had the pleasure of uh, jumping out of stage star when he was, and he was in the. Top half of the uh, contestants, we have 20 of them that compete, and uh, jumped into Les Mis. Uh, he was an ensemble member in that out at La Mirada, if you've mm-hmm. ever been to Kathy Rigby's uh, place out there, and her husband Tom McCoy. And uh, then was given the lead role as uh, uh, in Damn Yankees by 3D Theatricals uh, to play uh, the, uh, the young uh, ball player in that show. And then during that run, he had auditioned by video for New York's uh, U.S. national tour of Beauty and the Beast wow. didn't think he got it because he didn't hear back for several days and on the day that he, we were closing he came up to me at, at backstage and he said guess what he said I got the role of guest <laughs> out in the U.S. national <laughs> <That's> tour awesome <laughs> so man we, you know, when we hear those kinds of success stories uh, coming out of this competition we are thrilled we, we've done our, done, done our job anyhow
3: let's do our job right now here shall we introduce this absolutely. fine gentleman absolutely Ladies and gentlemen, from the Partridge Family to Temperatures Rising, How to Eat Like a Child with Dick Van Dyke, The Last Married Couple in America, Oh God, Book Two, and Tonight Show, The Merv Griffin Show, The Mike Douglas Show, and Two Seasons as a series regular on The Tim Conway Show. His attentions turned to theater at age 12 when he was cast in the Anthony Newley musical Chaplin. Thereafter, he starred as Eugene in the two different productions of Neil Simon's Brighton Beach Memoirs, followed by his portrayal of the same character in the remaining two installments of the Neil Simon trilogy, Biloxi Blues, and Broadway Bound. He went on to do a number of comedies and musicals, including other Neil Simon works, such as Come Blow Your Horn and Meredith Wilson's The Music Man. Will Shakespeare, nice little-known author there. Yeah. He played Hamlet, or he was in Hamlet, where he played Claudius, and he also served as director. You directed and played Claudius. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. In
0: 2004,
2: he became the director of the Harvest Academy Conservatory of Fine Art, with primary teaching, training, contributions in theater. In 2008, he was cast in the critically acclaimed world premiere of Aaron Kamler's Divorce the Musical at the Hudson Theater in Hollywood, followed by Camelot at the Pasadena Playhouse, Film roles also followed, but in 2011 he began working on a passion project entitled Fishers of Men, a one-person play he has written which depicts the final hours of the life of the impossible, excuse me, of the apostle Simon Peter and how those final hours spent with only one other man changed the life of that one man forever. On stage now with Fishers of Men at the Hudson Theater in Hollywood through March 27th, please welcome Rick Seagall.
0: Love <laughs> your audience. <laughs> This audience Amazing. is so giving. You know, they're, they're a very loving audience. <laughs> they really they like
3: to show it here. It's state of the arts. How are you, Rick? Good to I see you. I am well. Good to see you. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And, and so it's... nice to see the video clip of you this morning.
0: Yeah, thank you for seeing that. Yeah, Can we I... tell
3: people, what would you Google to get there? Maybe Fishers of Men?
0: Yeah, it's, it's fishersofmenplay.com. Okay. And so, when you land that little video you're referencing is on there.
3: If you want to know what this what this play is about, if you want to get a good picture of what you're going to see, go check out that video because I immediately got a sense of who you are, what you do,
2: and what this play is
3: about. Mm-hmm. It's a great promo video.
0: Thank you. Some nice testimonials on that yeah. too.
2: <laughs> and there's a, also online in my in my research today. I, there was an amazing picture of you with um, Shirley Jones. I'm sorry, you do from you the you do research for yeah, the show a little bit. <laughs> little it's a fascinating f- concept. I'm going to try that next week. He's sitting bit. on a piano, Shirley's playing at the piano, and it's from the Partridge family. And he's got very long hair. Very And nice.
0: how old were you in that picture? <laughs> I was four. You were wow. four. You weren't
2: big for four years. Wow. Old. No, I was I was little. I was yeah? The, Oh yeah. It no, looked was, the picture made you look big for some reason, but you looked adorable. And uh, you know, I think everything was uphill from there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah Shirley was, Jones. That's yeah, amazing. It is, and yeah. what's what's wonderful is I had an encounter with Shirley not too long ago, in a completely unexpected way, in which she was actually in the midst of getting to the airport, but took the time to stop, get out of the car, and say hello. I had simply run into her assistant and said, would you please let her know that I said hi? Yeah. And she took the time to come and say hello. and Oh, that's a great story. She yeah, wow. she was a real sweetheart. A yeah. very gracious lady, always yeah. is. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
2: yeah, so life for you as a child, what was it like as a child actor?
0: It was, in retrospect, comparing it to other children, it was strange <laughs> in that comparison. But for me, I had always, since my first conscious thoughts wanted to be on stage. So to be in the industry, to have attention in that regard, wasn't something that seemed foreign. It just felt like a fish in water, as it were. Yeah. So um, growing up in the industry, I had a really good balance with my mom and my dad. They, they divorced when I was seven, but I think the most important element of my childhood was that my parents completely left open my freedom with what I did there was no stereotypical stage mom stage dad they were both performers themselves it's and there so was the a constant reminder of if this ever becomes old it's boring you don't want to do it stop you don't have to do this yeah. and I think that was probably the most grounding for as strange as my childhood was both on a personal level and professional level that was the best part of my childhood was I, I knew I didn't I was only doing it because it was what I loved to do Yeah, yeah.
2: and that's the way it should be yeah it right? should
0: be absolutely it should be
2: because I, when I was acting as a kid, I would see my friends, my buddies, things that I was appearing on a TV series and whatnot. But they were the stars. Uh, the show came to an end, and the parents would blame the kids yeah. for <laughs> it going off the air. It's mm, terrible. Well, wow! And these kids got so messed up. All that. That's what turned me around and made me go into the business side of the business. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I didn't mm. act so much as a child, but I lied a lot. And I really enjoyed it <clears throat> for the most That's part. Wonderful. I lied whenever possible. And I think it trained me well for my future career <laughs> as an actor. <laughs> Just or things. a radio residual Residuals <laughs> suck, though. Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about Alan Hunt. That's exactly right. But the residuals suck news. in my other industry, too. I got a check for 12 cents the other day. So for what that's worth, I, I got awesome. plenty that Yeah, those fat. are the best. As do I. That's those hilarious. hilarious. We had talked about Alan Hunt earlier, who, of course, was a, a child actor as well, when uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea before he was drafted and went overseas in the, in the Army. But I find that actors who come through childhood acting careers with a positive outlook on life are so much happier than just normal people. It's almost like they've been through war, and they've come out and gone, I survived that, I can do anything. And they can really invest in each future experience. Alan is one of the most kind and giving directors I've ever worked with. He understands actors. So I don't know if that's helped you in your work. Have you found that, Rick, that associating new acting experiences is kind of a joy
0: compared to what you had to deal with as a child? Absolutely. Any time I I get to be acting, it is an honor a joy it is a quintessential glorious experience that I don't take for granted life's that way anyway true but when you're able to do something that you love that much and you're allowed to be on stage on set with a script with an actor with someone collaborating looking back in retrospect and having had a long period from childhood acting to where there was nothing in my adulthood yeah and then be able to come back to it, that absence. As a child, you don't really get that perspective, whether you take it for granted or not, because it it's your world. Right. But when you're out of that world, and then you're allowed to be a part of that world again, absolutely. It's, it's a wonderful gift.
3: I love hearing that, and I love the, the way you put that, because anytime we get to tell a story that may affect lives in a positive way, whether it's something like My Three Sons or whether it's something a little more edgy or whether it's something you know, like what you're doing with Fishers of Men that has a very specific purpose, you get to tell a story. You get to touch people's lives, Then I don't think there's any greater responsibility than that. It's a great thing to do. I agree with you.
2: Yeah. As an adult, was it, was it Divorce, the musical, that brought you back into the theater? Or was
0: it something else? In very practical form, yeah. That was the first. Well, it was was the first thing I had done here in Los Angeles. At the time when I came back into the world of of acting and theatrical work, I was in San Antonio at the time. I had spent a long time away from the industry. And it was in San Antonio that I got my first introductions to come back Mm -hmm. into it. And at that time was when I began with Harvest Conservatory of Fine Art, played Fagan and Oliver, uh, Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. And then we did Hamlet. Right. And then I directed The Miracle Worker. And it was those things that were my first times back on stage after many years of being away. But in Los Angeles, the first work that I was able to do upon returning back here was Divorce the Musical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then that led you to the Pasadena Playhouse? Correct. You worked with
2: a friend of mine, Doug Carpenter. Yes, I did. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Doug is now... uh, Really, one of the stars of Dirty Dancing on the U.S. national tour of it right now, and it's from him I learned the word
0: wonky. <laughs> it is. It's from him I learned the word. He used wonky to describe if something goes wrong. If that's what's wonky, and so I use that now. And I thank Doug for it. Well, he would. He would, uh, would like to know that. I think I'll tell <laughs> him. Actually, uh, he, have you seen? Did you see Dirty Dancing? The did music? not. No, I've heard about what's been going on with it, but I haven't gotten. It's to
2: see you know, it. it's it's a. It's exactly like the movie. It's it's, it's exactly what you hope. To see, because Mm -hmm. that was kind of a cult film, I think, you know. And uh, the musical is done very much in that flavor without losing a beat. And the performances are spectacular by these young people. Doug being one of them who has a very minor character role in the show, but he's such a phenomenal singer, this kid. (laughs) Yes, he is. And he literally stops the show twice. Wow. Mm -hmm. With his, he has two 11 o'clock numbers and the first one, the audience goes crazy, stand-up <laughs> ovation for him. And the second one is, of course, the, the famous I've Had the Time of My Life. Of course. Which you can't go wrong with that, right? That's great. So, But that was a provocative production of Camelot, as
0: I recall. It was. David Lee directed it. Yes. And yeah, Doug was, it was and still is, a show-stopping presence with his voice. Yes. And who did you play? Um, Sir Dinadin one of the three this was a completely scaled down version of Camelot typically it's a it's an enormous production oftentimes both in the scope of the set and the cast and the longevity of the show and David Lee did and this is obviously biased because I was in it but for my taste it was the most wonderful depiction of the show with a really stripped down cast of seven wow and wow minimal set construction depicting things quick clip to the show and it was a lot of fun yeah it was a little bit provocative there was a little, some, bit, of uh, little, little bit of nudity not yeah. for not for any of the uh, not for Sir Dinadin, <laughs> but for Lancelot and Guinevere there was a yes, shocking amazing. moment when the reveal is given at the end of the first act it's a real reveal it's a real reveal, <laughs> real reveal the naked reveal it's the naked reveal
3: can you tell us about Fishers of Men and how that project came about absolutely. and what your
0: goals are for absolutely. it? absolutely ca- it came about as a, a no from Dean Jones Mm-hmm. Um, but Dean, Dean had a show that's on DVD still that you can see called uh, St. John in Exile, which is a one-person show right. depicting the life of the Apostle John.
3: Interesting title for
0: Yeah, and he, yeah. he had allowed me to do the show, which was something he didn't give permission very often for people to do. And during the 25th anniversary of that show, when he had first done it, I had asked if I could do the show. Simply to really to honor him right. and to give it an incarnation now physically for the first time in a long time. And he graciously thought about it for a long time and emailed me back and said he didn't feel released to do that. He felt the only incarnation for the show should be the DVD. Wow! Mm-hmm. And in the denial said, why don't you write a show of your own? There were other apostles, you know. And I immediately thought of Peter and his very next line was, what about a show depicting the final moments of Simon Peter's life? And that was The Seed. That began the process of creating the show, which, from that email to the final day of writing, was about a three and a half year process.
3: Now, John wrote Revelation, correct? I mean, John yes, is the Apostle a John wrote that, and
0: Peter obviously wrote First Peter or is it attributed with First Peter. Are yes. there other epistles uh, attributed to Peter? Second Peter, they're wondering whether or not that was really just a post thing written by Mark, who mm-hmm. had actually penned First Peter. It's all Peter's words. Mark traveled with Peter for a lot of his life post the Book of Acts. And the Gospel of Mark is attributed to Mark's having written down Peter's throughout Asia Minor, his preaching the Gospel in Asia Minor, and that the Gospel of Mark, though Mark penned it, Mm -hmm. it's just his notations from Peter's continually talking about his life with Jesus. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Very much so. Now, where did you take the rest of your text? Because obviously, Peter doesn't have that many, as an actor, he doesn't have that many lines in the Bible. I mean, where, he, where did you get most of your textual information from? Where did you draw the actual words that you say in the play?
0: Yeah, because this is the last day of his life. We don't know anything about what he specifically said. And he knows than, it's the last day of his and life, And he knows right? it's the yeah. last day of his life. Now, we do know, primarily through Roman Catholic tradition, that on the day of his martyrdom, that he was crucified upside down. He had to watch his wife be martyred as well as some other people, and that he shouted to her, Oh, thou beloved, remember Christ. (laughs) Other than that, we're not sure about what he may or may not have said. So a lot of what I've put together is a combination of my own imagination, stuff we have from antiquity that we can think was transpiring at the time, culturally, historically. I did a lot. I would say at least half of my time in the three and a half year process was just doing research, Hmm reading books, listening to lectures, understanding first century Roman, trying to make the enculturation of this moment as authentic as it possibly could be. And that in and of itself brought about an enormous amount of the discussion and the wording because there's things he talks about that I think would be comparable to today. A lot of your discussion you have is what's going on in culture at the time. And so that's a conversation starter. So why not talk about Ovid's Metamorphosis, which was a popular writing at the time, or The Legend of Romulus and Remus, which was the origin story of the people of Rome. So that's a lot of what it was. And then there are some things that were derived straight out of the Gospels. Where he's recollecting some moments that he had with Jesus, and he's articulating them in the present tense as he talks about that. So it's, a, it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of things. It sounds wonderfully interesting. i got to tell you, it's
2: interesting when you see
3: the video that we <coughs> talked about Excuse earlier. Me. And again, if you Google that, Fishers of Men, you'll come up with that. But it was fascinating to watch what a fine acting portrayal you do Thank of you. a historical character, because that can be tricky. That can be tricky to do. It can be very cliché, or it can be very over-the-top. I thought you delivered a wonderful portrayal of, <coughs> of Peter and kind of what he was feeling at the time, how this was a normal man. Man in extraordinary circumstances. And to me, those are the most interesting stories.
2: And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you listening, this is how you can see Rick in this production, which, uh, as we have discussed here, is written and performed by Rick and produced by Mattafeld Productions. When it is simple, performances are now through March 27th, Fridays at 8 p.m., and also on Saturdays at 8 p.m., um, and Sundays at 3 p.m. Correct. And there are many choices there. Hudson Theater, one of the great Equity Wavy Theaters uh, in Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard at 6539 Santa Monica mm-hmm. Boulevard. And as I recall, there's a little restaurant right next to it, isn't there? A
0: great little restaurant. Yeah, so easy yeah. peasy. Easy peasy. Have, easy peasy. You, Have a nice dinner little there? dinner there, and there's a nice little cafe in the Hudson.
2: And for tickets, go to Plays411, and uh, you can give you, to give you the unique URL for plays411.com slash Men. That'll take you right to the page to buy tickets. Ticket price, $20. Mm-hmm. I highly
3: recommend you go see it. And if you need to, you can always just Google Fishers of Men and Rick Siegel. Fishers of Men Play or, play. yeah,
2: Rick Siegel. You'll and find you'll find, find it. Well. Gentlemen, it's come that time of the program. The time of the program, Yes, guys. where we we baptize you.
0: Oh, it's spectacular. Perfect, down, yes. perfect for the, Peter over here. We're yes, in good exactly. shape. It's a little weird with the tassels that he's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> it's John the Baptist knows. did it, too. <laughs> Ouch.
2: Um, we have, uh, we, we annoyed everyone here with uh, telling of, of an awkward, embarrassing moment in your career, whether it was from the theater or television or film, yes. uh, something that went wrong, terribly wrong, and or awesome. funny. How much time do you have? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, have we, actually
3: actually we, have, we actually <laughs> Some have Some people pick ones from this show. Long
1: <laughs> Barry, do you mind starting us off? Uh, I was uh, doing dinner theater in Kansas, no, in uh, uh, Salt Lake City. And, uh, you know, it was a nice theater, but underfunded. And so when one guy was doing everything. He was stage manager, prop man. Uh, it was Star Spangled Girl, Neil mm-hmm. Simon play. Yes. And it's the first scene where I'm supposed to meet Sophie, uh, the girl who moves in next door. And it's an immediate love at first sight. And she shows up with a with a bunt cake as hello. <laughs> and, you know, I'm Sophie, and I just baked this to say hello for you. Well, the prop that was supposed and this was opening night the prop that was supposed to be uh, ingested by me the bunt cake somehow got lost backstage somebody took it and so in the panic to give this actress something to go hand me something cuz i got to you know react to it uh, he just grabbed something, and he, he said, here, get, get, get the fritters from the, the third act. <laughs> this is in the first act, so, you know, I come out, and, and you know, she's standing there with this tinfoil thing, and I'm going, well, okay, that's, you know, that's not right, but okay, you got to go with it. <laughs> and I take a bite of it, and I get, you know, one big hunk in my mouth, and, I'm, of course, I'm supposed to be saying, oh, she's the most fabulous, oh, she can bake, like, I'm in love with it. But this thing they handed me was just coated in this toxic glue that, that was sprayed oh. to keep, like, it, so it could run, because it wasn't supposed mm. to be eaten. Oh. But she handed it to me, and now, ah! you know, I just immediately <laughs> choked. That's a nice air. And the audience thinks it's the funniest thing they've ever heard because they're going, Jeez, such a great she could really babe. And it, cause it, it just lodges. This big this toxic dough ball is stuck right in my my throat. And now the play comes to an end. And I'm just I, you know, stop and I'm just wandering around the stage lightheaded, I'm gagging, I'm choking, I'm going, Well, I gotta I'm gonna, you know, barf on the front row here, you know, I'll get it up, get it down. Anyway, I I forced it down, you know, and uh and you know, got it in you know, and but I didn't have a chance to go off stage to even find out what it was. All I knew it was I shouldn't have eaten it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, play the play must go on. So I swallowed this this poison ball, and and you know the play is going on and on, and I could feel this toxic brew kind of you know gurgling <laughs> like a you know a China syndrome happening in my stomach, and I and I would just like the other actor would go because he didn't know what was happening either. And I, I would eventually just go hold on, and you know I'd stop, <laughs> go to a window on the set. And stick my head oh, out. No, not barf, but I would just go. <laughs> I belts this huge, huge. Anyway, I don't want to take up your whole story with that. <laughs> what it was, it was you know the paramedics came at intermission, oh, and I'm thinking you know, oh, I'm gonna, Barry. I'm gonna die. You know this, I because they found the the 3M can, right. the spray can, because the guy goes, oh, those are the fritters. They shouldn't have been eaten. And he goes, and I'm looking at it, and goes, can't be fatal if swallowed. And Extra and points for I'm, I'm, medical professionals I'm taking to up be your, your time. <laughs> I survived. I'm still here. I, I have a third year
0: though, that I, you know, thanks. For- <laughs> Rick, what you got for us, sir? My first thing that comes to my mind is something where you have to overcome laughter. That wasn't something I had done intentionally, but there's a moment in Biloxi Blues where Eugene is going to this prostitute with his buddies. (laughs) And he goes into the room, and he's really nervous. And it's a comedic moment, Then the lights go down. But the scene's supposed to continue. We were doing what you call the blue hair special matinee. And the lights go down. And in the dark, you hear this lady in the front row say... I want to (laughs) see, and I'm with the, and the whole house busts up into hysterical laughter. And I'm with the actress, and we're having to move on with the scene, and neither one of us can move on with the scene because we're laughing so hard. We were finally able to get through the scene, but the moment of that coming in the middle of this comedic moment with the prostitute in the dark and this lady in the silence saying. I want to shake! It <laughs> was one of the uh, biggest challenges I had to overcome, but nothing comparable to having one, just that in the stomach and the ear growing. Right? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah,
3: the blue hair matinee—always something interesting there. Always,
0: always. <laughs>
1: the curtain call is like just, uh, just a, right. a rush to get back on the bus. You're standing up there waiting for your right. alkylates, and you just see this mass exit of walkers and. You know, heading to the door as quick as possible. So. Gentlemen, what a pleasure to have both of you
2: here with us. Thank you so much. Happy birthday to you, Rick. Thank you. Thank uh, you. What are you? Thirty nine? that? A little more than that. No, I don't. Yeah. My, I'm, I'm
0: very happy about my. I'm, I am. I am forty seven years old today. I Congratulations, Congratulations. Happy, birthday. happy birthday! Born in nineteen sixty nine.
2: Awesome All and Barry, you. thank you. Jeff, yeah, yeah. thank you. So uh, much. Awesome so meeting fun. you and talking pleasure. with you. Pleasure. Andrew, always a pleasure. Michael, thank you for the hospitality. All right, ladies and gentlemen, see you on the radio.
0: You're listening to State of the Arts with Michael Sterling and Paul Strolley right here on L.A. Talk Radio.